Hello and welcome to the show that we got him! We got him! Light the beacons! Light the beacons for he has returned! On today's show, we sent Matt Stanger to take a look at Tony Pulis' Middlesbrough at Loftus Road and they weren't quite what we expected. Doncaster Rovers manager Darren Ferguson was in a much better mood this week after a good draw away at Shrewsbury. How's he getting on at the Keepmoke Stadium? And are Colchester United gearing up for a promotion challenge? We've got all the usual stuff, the exhilarating news music, the anthemic roundup music, the fan league, the Joe Crilly, the overwhelmingly nerdy history sections, and it's all on the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Hi, everyone. Hi. How are we all? I've just texted Chris Powell. Have you? I've been texting Chris Powell as well. He's not responding to me. Caroline Barker, this is, of course. Um, Chris Powell is the only... Hello. Hello to Chris Powell. Chris Powell is the only manager I have in my phone, which is not a brag. He's not the only manager I have in my phone, but the only manager I have in my phone that hasn't changed his mobile phone number in the last 15 years. Well, like everyone else, you get a... Just updating my phone number. I used to have Brian Robson's mobile number, mm. um, and he was obviously a very early adopter of the mobile phone technology because his number was 442442. Oh. It's not anymore, I should stress. He changed his number a few years ago. I used to date a guy who worked for a phone company, and I know you're very much enjoying this, Matt. I used to date a guy who worked for a phone company who said they'd always get footballers come in and request those special numbers. And I said, was it, you know, it's just so they can remember them. He was like, no, no, Yuri Geller did it too. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Full of useless information. Matt Stanger. Morning. Do you have any interesting mobile phone stories? Uh, I used to work for uh, Orange in Newcastle, and I remember one of my colleagues once renewed Jermaine Defoe's contract. Oh, there you go. See? Everything you could ask for on this Totally Football <laughs> League show. Um, <laughs> speaking of mobile phones, one was used to send us a message last week uh, by Andrew Morris. He said, I love this show but I thought the first 15 minutes of this episode were just childish. Proper football talk like normal, please. Not guffawing at how many times you can swear. Um, Last week's show was very sweary. Um, It wasn't planned, but I am the host. I do take full responsibility for that. It was my decision to book Caroline. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to love our phone chat for five minutes. (laughs) Oh, we're really powering through the grade A stuff here. One thing we've got to talk about before we move on, we are running a new feature, Performance of the Week. Um, over Sunday and Monday, Matt and Tayo and I will have a discussion over the, uh, the, the best performances of the weekend on the, in, in the Football League. And then we invite you to vote. You can get on Facebook and on Twitter. There'll be a little video there. There's Twitter polls. We add up all the numbers. Um, and the inaugural winner of Performance of the Week, can you guess, Matt? Uh, well, was it one of my nominations? It was not one of your nominations. You didn't even make the shortlist of your ones. Oh, God. Yeah. Who were your nominations? Uh, I said Gillingham for 3-1 when it's Scunthorpe and Accrington Stanley for coming uh, back from 2-0 down at home to Port Vale to win 3-2. Both decent shouts. We eventually went with Forest Green and Berry and Millwall and this week's winners, Nottingham Forest. Thank goodness for that. Secret Forest fan? Uh, no, we got loads of stick, rightly so. For the show on Saturday night, because we, we, I mean, it came out of my mouth and no one else. It's my fault entirely. <laughs> Again. Uh, we were given a minute to talk, post a, a little roundup. The roundup, of course, included Nottingham Forest, but I had Dave Edwards in the studio with me, ex Wolves. So we decided to spend that minute talking about Wolves <sighs> and not Nottingham Forest. Although I did say, you know, great first win for Ita Karanka. 
and then talk about wolves. <laughs> so well, if we could talk about Nottingham Forest we, for half an hour now, that would help. We, we can definitely say that they were performance of the week. Um, a very well-drilled performance by all accounts. So uh, well done them. Uh, let's find out what else has been going on. Uh, hit the music, producer Tyre. It's News in Brief. Chris Powell is the front runner for the Southend United job. He's been the front runner for over a week. Uh, no one at the club appears to have actually finalised this yet. If if any assistance can be offered from this department, we we will absolutely do it. Hello. I'm Ian McIntosh from this afternoon. Right now, Ian McIntosh from this morning is discussing his hopes for Chris Powell taking over. Of course, you already know he did take over and how very, very happy everyone concerned with Southend United is right now. It's not just bringing back a former player. It's not just bringing back a manager who's excelled in this division before and at a higher level. It's also about having someone in charge of your club that you love that you're proud of, that you feel can represent you and everyone like you. It's felt feeling that there's there's that you're a part of this all together. And and I did like Phil Brown, and I'm very sorry about the way things worked out with Phil Brown. Um, he did some very good work, uh, particularly at trying to tie up the youth side of the, the club with the senior side of the club. And, of course, he got us promoted. And I certainly wish him um, nothing but the best in the future. And I, I hope if he is listening, he'll understand that Chris Powell, for me and for many Southend fans of my age, was a boyhood hero. And to have something like this happening... It's just, oh, happy day. Anyway, let's take you back to this morning's Ian McIntosh and drop back in time. Here we go. Brown was placed on gardening leave last week with a club statement saying recent performances have been unacceptable and in the board's view the lack of discipline, now a ranger of case in point, has only served to compound the position. The club's success as we enter a new era is paramount and we shall adopt a zero tolerance in our efforts to achieve this objective. It's not the only manager to have gone. Pep Clotet has been relieved of his responsibilities by Oxford United. The 2-1 home defeat to bottom side Berry was the final straw. The board has taken the decision after much consideration and in the best interests of Oxford United FC, said a club statement, renewing our view that once you've said FC or football club, it means it's very important. His assistant, Derek Fazakli, has been put in charge of first-team affairs until a successor is appointed. United are eight points off the playoff places in League One and eight points above the relegation zone. And MK Don sacked their manager too. Robbie Nilsson is gone after a terrible run of form. But, breaking news, they've just appointed his replacement. It's Dan Makiki, who is 38, it's his first club managerial role, and uh, he was formerly of England under-16s, so good luck, Dan. Yeovil Town are planning to appeal Otis Khan's red card for allegedly shoving the referee during last Saturday's game against Chesterfield. Uh, He will miss out on his team's home clash with Manchester United in the FA Cup. A midfielder said, I ran towards the referee and upon doing so, I tripped and fell towards him making contact. I'm absolutely heartbroken. Um, Interestingly, there is no footage of this incident, so we really have to take his word for it there. 
You're in the wrong there, pal. A Middlesbrough fan was arrested, charged and maybe banned from all future games after being filmed urinating in a water bottle and throwing it at the Queen's Park Rangers goalkeeper Alex Smithies during the match. Cleveland Police's dedicated football officer said on Twitter, I will do all I can to remove him from attending games again. Breaking news as we record, Wigan Athletic, according to the BBC, have confirmed they're at an advanced stage in takeover talks with an unnamed party. We'll keep an eye on that one and follow that up. And sad news to end with, former Barnsley owner Patrick Crine has died from cancer at the age of 66. Crime was born in the town and a lifelong supporter. While in charge of the club, Barnsley twice won promotion from League One, reached an FA Cup semi-final in 2008 and lifted the Johnston's paint trophy in 2016. He stepped away from running the club day-to-day in November 2016 after his illness was diagnosed. A statement on the Barnsley website said everyone connected with the club was devastated by the news. Club custodian for 14 years and widely regarded amongst the loyal fan base as a saviour of the club since taking control in 2003, Mr Crine has been held in the highest of regards both at Barnsley Football Club and across the footballing world and uh, I think everyone here on the show can only echo that. That's the news. So, Southend United leading the agenda. Who would have thought that would happen today? Uh, Caroline, what do you reckon about I wasn't told that 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 was going to happen today. You should have assumed. Yeah, you assume. Southend United, what do you want me to say? Chris Powell seems to be not just you starting the calls and ending the calls for him to come in. Every single one of the messages that I read on social media over over the weekend and, and since the news was all about, you've got to bring Chrissy Powell back. There's a sense that they need someone in the club who knows the club, knows perhaps the difficulties in working at the club. And can also turn the fans around to say, all right, try and give us a lift. If, if money's not going to be the lift in terms of bringing players in, then the lift has got to come from someone just saying, all right, bit of rebel rousing. Matt, some younger fans um, have been quite vocal in their view that bringing someone in basically on the basis that he used to play for the club might not be the most constructive thing to do. Um, but they are young and they know nothing, don't they? Because Chris Powell actually has a very good record in this league. Yeah, he does. Uh, obviously, really experienced manager in, in the football league, and I think also he might benefit from the stability that Southend afforded Phil Brown as well, because you know his last couple of jobs have been uh, quite brief, and if he can come in here and be given a few years to to try and build something, you know, I think that that would tempt him. They do tend to give managers time. Uh, Southend, though, not the only club to have changed managers. Oxford as well, getting rid of Pep Clotet. I uh, I have to admit, even though they've been poor recently, I didn't see that coming. Well, I watched them against Blackpool the other week and they were pretty poor in that match and were quite lucky really to, to get a victory in the end. And I think his style hasn't really come across. He, he struggled to implement it. Some of his new signings haven't really settled as well. And it's not really a surprise. Uh, I was reading a tweet from George Ellick, uh, of Not the Top 20 party we've had on the show before, and he was saying that Clutter actually shushed the fans uh, when Oxford took the lead against Bury on Saturday. And, and that's never a good look, is it? Especially when you then go and lose 2-1. Although, we've seen all the, uh, quite a few Leeds fans saying, come back, we loved it when you were at the club, come back and try and help us sort it out. I think a lot of that, though, is because of his social media persona. He's, he's really active on Twitter and, mm. you know, he really G's up the fans and uh, he's very honest as well. And I think he knows how to manage the media, but it's, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to results, doesn't it? Bit of a, a love-hate relationship. He did, the argument, I guess, in his favour, was the, the number of loans they had to do, a few of the, the free transfers as well. Did he maybe not get the support that, that he needed at the club? Well, they brought in a lot of players that he'd worked with previously uh, in Sweden. And 
Uh, I think losing Jack Payne, really, that that, that was quite telling for me because whenever Jack Payne was recalled by Huddersfield and sent to Blackburn, thank you very much, got his first assist <laughs> at the weekend, that was, uh, yeah, that, that sort of didn't paint a great picture of the, uh, where Clotet was going. The nature of the defeat didn't really help. I mean, the second goal um, in particular was just hideous to watch and it is Berry who haven't scored since 1984. Yeah, um, that was awful, wasn't it? Just root one football and Bun just runs right through the middle of them. The final straw. And and MK Duns as well, who um, were sniffing around Stephen Gerrard before they eventually appointed on Robbie Nielsen. Do you think they'll go back? It's a risk, is it not? Although, what are you, what are you bringing Stephen Gerrard in for? Are you bring him in for his name, for a bit of publicity? You bring him in for the, the fact, in, in Stephen Gerrard's case, at least he's been working his way up and coaching with the younger players. Who, where do they want to be? And this is the same with Oxford. Where do you want to be? Same with Southend too. What's your expectation? <laughs> the owners have to come out, the chairman has to come out, chief executive, whoever it is, has to come out and say, right, this is our minimum expectation. Whoever walks through the door, this is our minimum expectation. This is when we want it by, and this is what you've got to play with. Is it a season to stay up? Is it a season to get into the playoffs? Is it a season to do X, Y and Z? What do you want from your manager? Communicate that to the fans. And then the manager's in no doubt. The fans are in no doubt. And if the manager turns around and gives it the old shush, then of course he should be out, out the door. <laughs> right, producer Tayo, prepare the anthemic music. It's the Championship Roundup. Nottingham Forest stunned the division on Saturday with a fully deserved victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers that saw their lead reduced to, well, still nine points. Forest are 14th, 11 points adrift of the playoff places, but there are still 18 games to go. Hey, if Wolves fans were frustrated with that, imagine how Derby County and Bristol City supporters felt knowing that their Friday night 0-0 draw had cost them a chance to significantly cut that gap. And even Cardiff couldn't take advantage. They were held 0-0 by Sheffield Wednesday, who still haven't conceded a goal in 2018. After one goal in 31 championship matches for Aston Villa, Scott Hogan has four in his last three appearances. The striker's early brace helped Steve Bruce's side beat Barnsley 3-1 and climb to fourth. Hogan isn't the only man among the goals. Gary Medine struck his eighth in 14 matches for Bolton, but the Trotters were pegged back by Joe Garner to draw 1-1 with Ipswich. And Fulham are just a point off the playoffs after thumping Burton 6-0. Ryan Sessegnon continues to impress, claiming another double for the Cottagers. We'll discuss it more in a moment, but what a win for Middlesbrough this week. 3-0 away at QPR, with a fine performance from one Adama Traore. There was a fine performance from Brentford too. They beat Reading 1-0 on the road. The Bees are ninth, three points off the playoffs. And that's all the more incredible when you recall that they didn't actually win a game until the end of September. And sound the Sunderland klaxon. They won another game. The winning goal coming from the new Gareth Bale, Joel Osoro. Ellen Road saw the game of the day in the Championship, and we could probably dedicate a whole show to this one. Millwall opened the scoring and doubled their lead after Liam Cooper picked up Leeds' third red card in as many matches. But the hosts fought back to go 3-2 in front just after the hour mark, only to blow it in the last five minutes and lose 4-3. Sheffield United picked up only their second win in 11 matches with a 2-1 victory over Norwich while Sam Gallagher continues to lead Birmingham's survival battle with the equaliser in a 1-1 draw at Preston. OK, well, at the weekend we sent Matt to Loftus Road to watch QPR against Middlesbrough. I think it's fair to say we had certain expectations of what Middlesbrough were going to look like under Tony Pulis. Uh, those expectations have not been met, Matt. 
yeah, we thought they were going to be lumping it long and uh, just trying to play off a Sombolonga and attack, but they, they passed it around, they controlled uh, the game, and it was one of the most professional performances I, I think I've seen this season, actually. And with Adama Traore in that sort of form as well, they're a serious threat. Caroline, Adama Traore is a strange one because on a technical level, I would say there's almost certainly no one in that division anywhere near him. Um, on on an everything else, like knowing where to stand and stuff, um, he's a bit of a mess. I mean, Tony Pulis actually said at the weekend he's glad he hasn't got any hair because he'd pull it all out watching him play. <laughs> but the well, Traore... then you want Tony Pulis, don't you? you? You want that sort of manager to guide you through it. And you say a very unlike Tony Pulis performance, but every time, is it like 13 times that they've won in the, the league this season? Every time they've been in front... They've won. So Pulis has or had the bones to work with, but it's just getting that bit of spirit and belief. Put the first one away, then we know we'll go on and win. And and I'm sure you enjoyed your time at Loftus Road, but when it's rocking, it's a brilliant place to be. And I think for for QPR, there's a few worries. But every time that that the fans seem to maybe get a few worries on Ian Holloway on his back, he turns things around or there'll be a little performance or something will will give that little bit of a lift again and, and it lightens it on him. Well, they won the last two before this and that's the way it's been for QPR all season. Yeah. They'll win a couple and then they'll struggle through a five or six games. So, so that's why they're down where they are. Did they lose because they played badly or because Middlesbrough played well? I think they lost because they're a team of five out of tens every single week and they need everyone to play well at the same time to put in those performances that we saw against Wolves and Sheffield United. Well, Middlesbrough certainly had that um, particularly impressive strike from George Friend who I've always really really liked absolute crackers like that and uh, Pulis said afterwards he, he took a bit of credit for, for George Friend's uh, recent re- revival he said that when he came into the club he was lacking a bit of confidence and Pulis just got in him told him what good player he was and a player that he said he'd actually watched before when he'd been a, a manager in the Premier League and always considered making an offer for him and uh, yeah what a confident effort it was from, he, uh, from him on Saturday Pulis has inherited a really good squad there hasn't he I was sitting there watching it through my um, Sunday morning hangover and it was it was notable that every single player is really you know that ha- has something good that they bring whether it's a, a bit of pace or a, um, passing ability I mean there, there, there aren't that many obvious weak spots in that team Definitely solid uh, goalkeeper Darren Randolph solid uh, central defensive partnership in Ayala and Gibson Ayala getting his third goal under Pulis at the weekend there and then I like the way he uses Housen and Leadbitter as well as the foundation in central midfield. They they anchor the you know the whole uh, the whole first team lineup really for Adama Traore and Patrick Bamford then to go and be a bit more expressive. Stuart Downing as well. A couple of funny moments with Stuart Downing. Uh, visibly frustrated with Adama Traore not playing a simple pass. <laughs> uh, Traore reminds me of that great quote from um, Ralph Hassenhuttel, the uh, uh, Leipzig manager, when he signed Oliver Burke and he said, he just has an empty hard drive. And that's really what I think uh, Pulis has inherited. And Pulis said after the game as well that um, he, he's just told Traore to play to his strengths, really. So to, to use his, his, his strength, he is incredibly strong. That, I mean, it's his pace that first catches the eye, but the way he can hold off the fullback is, is so impressive. And, uh, and he's shown that end product as well. I mean, he think he claimed the assist for Ayala with a little flick on from that corner and then his, his finish for the third was so composed c- considering that this is meant to be a player that, that lacks that in the final third. It's very much the unmarked uh, legal firework, isn't he? Like he could be the moment that makes the crowd go, ooh, equally he could veer off and kill an old lady. Yeah, and, and he, this is a guy with um, <laughs> with an appearance of Barcelona as well, which is, it, it, it takes something to, to, to get that far in your, in your short career. Scott, his first goal for Middlesbrough, uh, I spoke to Dom Shaw actually from the Gazette afterwards and he said, as soon as Pulis was appointed, 
pretty much every fan thought, right, that's Traore gone. <laughs> and, uh, and he has, and he's stuck with him, and, uh, and it's paying off. And I think it's a, it's a good moment for Middlesbrough as well. Uh, God, that's very European, Nord. Brendan Rodgers, football manager, yeah, a good moment. <laughs> a good moment. But, uh, but they seem to be in a good place right now. They sold Adam Forshaw to, to Leeds for, for four and a half million last week. And I was reading a column um, by a Middlesbrough fan uh, yesterday saying it's, it's great to see Middlesbrough actually making some money from, from some of their player sales as well. And, and also for Pulis, because his track record is he buys fairly high and he, he sells well he, he releases on free transfers when it doesn't work out but so. this is the, the really interesting thing is that there tends to be a pattern with Pulis sides where he'll come in and he'll shore them up and then he'll make them a team that you know wins a few and then he'll have the stage where he starts buying in flair players that never really seem to fit and then it stagnates and goes horribly wrong which you had at West Brom this season you had at Stoke beforehand but here he's inherited a team which is pretty much there it's it's where you'd want it to be well that's the point i was just going to make about triori as you said he, he's already got a couple of those flair players there and the point he keeps making after games is i'm glad that we rolled our sleeves up i'm glad that i saw that work ethic from them too so he he's he keeps laboring that point that it's important that everyone keeps putting that running in which he's, he's definitely getting from the players at the moment you, you'll always get that under tony pulis i think and they're the person that highlighted that more than anyone for me on Saturday was Patrick Bamford because he was sort of playing in a, a wide right role and he just tracked back throughout his whole performance and he didn't get many opportunities going forward, a couple, a couple of nice touches. but And obviously Patrick Bamford struggled for goals over the last couple of seasons as well, but he really put that shift in and you know that Pius will reward him with more well, opportunities. That's interesting because Sean Dyche had um, kind of alluded to the fact that he thought Bamford was a bit soft. Um, Bamford, obviously one of the, the few sort of determinedly middle-class footballers. Is that because he refused to eat a worm? <laughs> we don't have those details, but we, our mind can obviously take us to those conclusions. And what does that even mean to? And I, I, Bamford's been getting stick over the past. It, it seems like all the, the focus of everyone's attention, the fans as well, it was always Bamford, Bamford. Bamford's been played out of position. Uh, where does Bamford fit within this team? Can we get Bamford on earlier? Every single message we kind of got after every game was, what about Bamford? And so if he's he's getting that sort of performance out of him now and he's getting that work rate out of him now, then, then clearly that shows that he's paying off. So, Middlesbrough, all looking very encouraging. Mr Joe Crilly from William Hill. Can they go up? Uh, yeah, they've got every chance. Um, they are 7-2 for promotion, so that makes them fifth favourites uh, to go up. Obviously, Wolves are, are pretty much there or thereabouts but the race for second and of course the, the playoffs is incredibly tight in that division um, and it's all very congested but Borough have every chance of, uh, of making it You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with William Hill For all the latest odds in the footballing world check out williamhill.com or download the app and if you don't spot something you fancy why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag your odds for your very own personalised bet 18 plus only, be gambleaware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Right, FA Cup weekend on the Fan League. We've got 13 games. Do I have to tell you where to get the Fan League? On the App Store. Search for Fan League. Slip of 13 games. Home win, away win or a draw. That's pretty much all you have to do. Let's go through the games. Huddersfield, Birmingham, Matt. Uh, Huddersfield victory, Ian. (laughs) <laughs> Caroline, you do not have to be so formal I refer you, sir, to the <laughs> aforementioned Huddersfield win Yeah, I'm going Huddersfield win as well I, I don't think there's too much doubt of that um, Hull, uh, empty, shriveled husk of the football club that they were uh, Against Nottingham Forest Who, I reckon, Forest could go on a bit of a run in this competition 
because they're in that nice little position. You know, if they don't make the playoffs, it's not entirely unexpected. They're not going to get relegated. They can play a full-strength team in this. They have to go for it as well, because you, you've, if you beat Arsenal 4-2, you've got to follow up with a performance in the next round. Otherwise, that was all sort of for nothing. I'm just so sad for Hull fans. Continually oh. sad for Hull fans. I want them to get a result, but I don't think they I went there a lot. Forest. Undercranked, as I mentioned on Saturday's show, or should have done. It's such a great performance <laughs> from Nottingham Forest. They'll win this one. No, I, I went to Hull a lot when I was with ESPN. It's a really friendly club. You speak to fans there. I mean, just beyond anger at what's happened. I can only hope they get the deliverance that they they need. Oh, it's so, so frustrating. I know we're supposed to be really quick on this one. It's so frustrating for a fan. You're you're sat there, and um, although I'm not supposed to tell you discussions that happen at the National League, there there are times when I've sat in a board meeting and said, right. What are we doing about X, Y, and Z? Because fans, if you can't get communication from your owner, if you can't speak to your owner, if you can't force anything to happen time and time, we've said this about Blackpool and other clubs as well, then what are you supposed to do? Yeah. What can you do apart from go and form a new club and be the AFC Wimbledon? But it's not yeah. always Hire easy. Tony Mowbray, that's what you should do if yeah. that's the situation. <laughs> just in any situation. <laughs> right. Middlesbrough, we just spoke about them. They've got Brighton at home. Matt. I'm going for a Middlesbrough win on this one. I'm actually. going Middlesbrough win. Caroline. Yeah, Middlesbrough win. Yeah, Brighton, um, Brighton haven't scored since January the 8th. Um, so that that's not helping. Yeah, trying to rectify it with a, with a few signings, but I just... Yeah, tough times. Millwall versus Rochdale. Uh, Rochdale have got bigger things to bother about than this, haven't they, Matt? They have, and Millwall, on the back of that first away win of the season, I think they'll win this easily. Caroline? 7-6, 4 cent off, <laughs> uh, including both managers. Yeah, you heard it here first. Um, MK Dons, with their brand new manager from the England under-16s, against Coventry. New manager bounce here, Matt? Well, if I know Danny McKeeke, uh, which I <laughs> definitely do, he's going to play a really enterprising brand of football here and MK Dons are going to surge to a fantastic victory. Well, might be true. He's been told to instil confidence. What better way to get confidence than to get a win in the Cup? All right. A lot of votes for uh, Danny McKeeke. Almost certainly not saying that right. Uh, Notts County against Swansea. Uh, if you'd have asked me last week, I'd have said Notts County for this one. But things have changed a little in recent days, haven't they, Caroline? Carlos Carvajal. Mm, what a manager. Who Who'd have thought that one, eh? I'd have stuck a shriveled up £20 note on that. <laughs> I think this will go to a replay. Oh. And I think Swansea will win the replay. First call for a draw. Matt? Enjoyed uh, Carvajal's um, analogy about the Formula One car being stuck yeah. in London traffic after the Liverpool game. And I think he also said that one was for you, Ali Maxwell. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll go for Swansea on this one. <laughs> Sheffield United against Preston. I think Preston are going to win this. Sheffield United not in the greatest form, one eye on the playoffs, Preston players coming back to full fitness. All right, they were poor against Birmingham, but I reckon they'll get this. I'm going for Sheffield United. Alex Neal wasn't very happy with Preston's performance against Birmingham and Sheffield United on the back of that win against Norwich. I think they'll, they'll win this. And for all the reasons that you said, I'm going to go the opposite and say Sheffield United too. I, I just think they need this. I think all they need right. that bit of a boost. Everyone note this one down. Next up, what will almost certainly be a terrible game, Southampton against Watford. Uh, I'm going nil-nil draw. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're not supposed to specify scores in the fan league, but I just think it's going to be dreadful. 
I don't know anything about Premier League teams, so... Uh, I don't really care, you know? 5-4. Yeah. But this is the FA Cup, which you do care about. Uh, I'm in two minds. Yeah. Um, don't get me started on that. Wigan. <laughs> Wigan against West Ham. Wigan, um, centre of takeover talks. Uh, West Ham only just got past Shrewsbury. And Wigan are, of course, five points ahead of Shrewsbury. Uh, I'm no scientist, but I think that means Wigan win. But isn't that the way that all football fans work? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we beat them. We're going to win the World <laughs> Cup. Uh, yes, Wigan all the way. All right. Yeah, Wigan back that... Bournemouth in the last round, so yeah. they'll win this. Shock of the round, Wigan to beat West Ham. Newport, Tottenham. I want to say Newport, and the Rodney Parade pitch isn't brilliant, but it's better than it was last season. Uh, I still think Tottenham for this, so. I'm going to go because ex-Chelsea City winger Robbie Wilmot is banging them in for Newport. Uh, Newport are going to not beat Spurs, unfortunately, <laughs> but he will play. He might, he might even score a goal, but Spurs are going to win it. I'm going for a massive shock here. I'm going Ooh. for Newport. Let's trick Spurs on that pitch. Be missing Ericsson as well. Let's go for it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Liverpool, West Brom, quickly. <laughs> Liverpool. Uh, replay. Chelsea, Newcastle, quickly. Chelsea. 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 And Cardiff, Man City, with little more because there's a football league team involved. Um, Cardiff have only conceded once in their last four games. I just think that Pep's had a little word in the shell like at Man City and they will not want to lose this one. I think City will win it. City are going to steamroll them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll go for a draw, give them a chance. That is the Fan League. Next up is League One. Listeners, you like stats. And so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Time for the League One Roundup. Wigan have opened up a five-point lead at the top of League One now, thanks to their 3-1 victory away at formside Plymouth. Paul Cook's side have actually now picked up more points on the road than they have at home. And on the subject of Plymouth, everyone here at the Totally Football Show sends their best to Ryan Edwards, diagnosed with testicular cancer last week. Get well soon, Ryan. After 120 minutes against West Ham in midweek, it's just possible that Shrewsbury were filling in their legs on Saturday. They were 2-0 up on Doncaster, of whom we shall hear more in a moment, after an hour, only to end up drawing the game 2-all. Joe Piggott bagged a debut goal for Wimbledon as the Dons climbed out the relegation zone with a 2-0 win over Blackpool, while Bristol Rovers shrugged off the loss of top scorer Billy Bowden to inflict a 3-1 defeat on Bradford. And Charlton beat Walsall by the same scoreline to suggest they'll also be alright after Ricky Holmes' departure to Sheffield United. Peterborough are really back in form. Three clean sheets in a row, just one defeat since mid-December, and after a thumping 3-0 win over Oldham, they're back to within three points of the playoffs. But spare a thought for Richie Wellen's sexy owls, just one win since mid-December for them, and they're back in the drop zone. Rotherham and Portsmouth are scrapping for a playoff place, and Joe Mattock's last gasp winner gave the Millers the upper hand in that particular ding-dong. And I think Gillingham were probably right to go with Steve Lovell rather than a more illustrious name. They won 3-1 away at Scunthorpe and he's dragged them up to 11th. It's now 16 games unbeaten for Blackburn in League One as Tony Mowbray's side jumped into second with a 2-1 win at Fleetwood. But there was a pair of sackings lower down the table as Pep Quartet paid for Oxford's 2-1 defeat at home to Bury and Robbie Nielsen was shown a door by MK Dons after they went down 2-1 at Northampton. Right... 
Doncaster Rovers, then. Let's have a look at Doncaster Rovers. You, you say that with as much relish as he just said Blackburn, which is <laughs> quite enjoyable. It's so good to watch. Yeah, whatever. Uh, the, Doncaster Rovers, 2-0 down, Rovers. come back to 2-2. Two, two. Um, well, first of all... Mm. Let's hear about their history. All right, sorry, as you to were. To get up at 6am to write this for no reason. <laughs> oh, I didn't watch it for no reason. <laughs> Doncaster Rovers were formed in 1879 by the 18-year-old fitter Albert Jenkins, for it was he who put together a team to play the Yorkshire Institute for the Deaf and Dumb. Jenkins' side went 4-0 down but came back for a four-all draw. And you know what a game like that does to you? It makes you believe you can do anything. And in this case, it made those players essentially establish Doncaster Rovers on the walk home. True story. After a stint in the Midlands League, they were elected to the Football League in 1901 and promptly secured what remains their highest league position ever, seventh in the second division. In 1903, though, they finished 16th and were voted out of the league by their peers. In 1904, they were elected back again. In 1905, they were voted out by their peers, but this time they didn't come back. In fact, they went into voluntary liquidation nine years later, but fear not. A new club was established just in time for the 1914-15 season. Doncaster did three more seasons in the Midlands League after World War I, before joining the 3rd Division North in 1924. They had a few moments, but relegation from Division 2 in 1958 was the start of a half century in the bottom two divisions and beyond. The Nadir came under the ownership of the nefarious Ken Richardson in the 1990s, who, not content with destroying the club for his own capriciousness and incompetence, set out to literally destroy the Bellevue Stadium by paying local criminals to burn it down. And he might have gotten away with it, had it not been for one of the arsonists leaving his mobile phone on the scene, its last call being a message to Richardson's answer phone that said simply, the job's been done. Richardson went to prison. But out of the ashes came the Phoenix. Doncaster were a non-league club in 1998, but under the tender love and care of local boy done good John Ryan, they bounded back into the league in 2003, and then, after a tense playoff final against Leeds, I was there, it was really good, they went back to the second flight for a four-year spell. Ryan left in 2014, the club was back in the fourth division in 2016, but they came up last year to League One, and under Darren Ferguson, they're snug in mid-table, and... Matt, it's probably a good season to be snug in League One, isn't it? Because it's been a bit chaotic at top and bottom. It is, and a lot of teams have been dragged down. We've, we've talked about MK Dons already towards that relegation zone. So I think Doncaster, they've uh, they started pretty miserably, to be honest. They only got one win in their first eight games, I think it was. Obviously, that was away at Blackburn, which was fantastic for all Blackburn fans. They, they were thinking, what a horrible... Uh, beginning to, to League One this is for them. Uh, of course, they thrashed Southend for one no Ian, so I think that was mm. the turning point for them in many ways. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, Caroline, you watched the game at the weekend. <laughs> talk <laughs> us through talk it. about it now? Yeah, yeah, go on. 2-0 uh, down, came back to 2-2. Shrewsbury can, uh, controlled the first half, and I think they'll probably be, and they were afterwards, spitting about whether perhaps the equaliser crossed the line, whether there should have been uh, as much added on time as there were, but which was interesting given the comments from Darren Ferguson, which completely <laughs> shouldn't have been said the week before, but over officials, does he have a point? Let's really? start Let's start with uh, the equaliser. As we mentioned earlier, Shrewsbury were 2-0 up, Doncaster came back to 2 all. but Matt, the equaliser was a little controversial. It was a bit, because uh, it was the, the full-back 
Ben Kermis, who fired in uh, a cross that basically got caught in the wind and landed pretty much right on top of Dean Henderson. And he, he should have tipped it over and then that would have been the end of it. Surely he would have won 2-1 and nothing more would have been said. But he, he tried to catch it and he caught it. I, play, I watched this again in slow march and he caught it just behind the line before the contact was made. And so I, I think really it was, you know, it was, it was the, the goal was right to be awarded. And it was interesting to, to hear Ferguson play, praising the assistant afterwards saying that... <laughs> Yeah, he obviously spotted it was right. This is Darren Ferguson, of course, if you missed it last week, who, when asked what he'd do with League One referees, he replied that he would shoot them. Um, so I, I don't know if this has you know, worked in his favour. Uh, Paul Hurst, very much in the other, uh, other direction, though, um, because how did he respond to it? He said if he'd been a Premier League manager, he, he would have been whinging about that decision afterwards, uh, which was, one, a bit strange to say, because I don't know why he brought... Uh, being a Premier League manager into it and two he did whinge about it so <laughs> and also if he were a Premier League manager there would have been an old watch on the referee's wrist that would have been buzzing so uh, he wouldn't have had the argument to make oh, that's very true go. yeah I, I think it, it looked like on paper you'd look at this game and think wow some performance from Doncaster to fight back from 2-0 down away at Shrewsbury who was second at the start of the day but really Shrewsbury were just exhausted in that yeah. second half because they'd gone to extra time against West Ham in midweek they played a fantastic <laughs> Blackburn side uh, the week before <laughs> which was obviously exhausting so uh, yeah it was it was really a case of Shrewsbury just growing very, very tired, and then that fluky, fluky goal at the end. Yeah, look Car- leggy. Caroline, what do we make of Darren Ferguson as a manager? I mean, no one would envy him the um, the, the, <laughs> the namesake. How do I get the Darren Ferguson curveball? <laughs> uh, he was wrong in what he said. He's got a point about officials. He oh. likes to say what he sees or he believes, and as someone that would be interviewing him, I'd love that. But um, as, as a manager, he's had an interesting career, hasn't he? Because he, he had that tremendous start with, uh, with Peterborough yeah. um, and did really well there. It didn't work out from at Preston. And, you know, he's, he's not the only one who's had that in that period of time. Then back to Peterborough again. Um, he did go down with Doncaster, but brought them back up. I've spoken to a number of players that have, have worked under him and they say that he's, he's a very good motivator. So he certainly gets them going. And... Equally, if you've got a manager that's going to speak loudly to the officials, then it might take a bit of heat off you as a as a player. And he has that knack of, of doing that. He certainly learned from his father, but it must be difficult to try and move out of that, that shadow, mm. which you know, just by me bringing up his dad, he's, he's continually having to do. My, my favourite chapter in Dan Ferguson's career, which is when he was sat by Preston, Sir Alex immediately recalled yeah. Manchester United players that were on loan at Preston, which is one of the pettiest things I've ever seen in football. Always guaranteed a friendly, though. Always, always helped, isn't it? He was a very decent player. Um, uh, of course, scored against Southend in the Johnston Paint Trophy final. Not that it was Johnston Paint Trophy final. And that makes then, him but... a decent player. Yeah, no, but he was, he was very... <laughs> That game uh, launched the career of the goalkeeper Ben Foster um, because Ferguson was at the game watching his son play and, and spotted Foster. But I digress. What players are we looking at at, at Doncaster in this? What, what is essentially a transitional season for them? There weren't many to stand out, to be honest. Uh, Rodney Congolo, Man City loney, really stood out in the first half because he was very poor and, and got hooked at the interval. And then really it was James Coppinger who was the best player for Doncaster, yet again with uh, with his dead ball deliveries. Um, he actually scored one of the most exhilarating goals I've ever seen in 2013. Do you remember that game? Uh, final game of the season when Doncaster played Brentford and uh, one of them could, would go up uh, depending on the victory and... 
Uh, he's, uh, Brentford's Marcelo tried to hit the crossbar of a penalty in, in the last minute. Doncaster broke up the other end. I think it was Billy Painter squares it for Coppinger. The scenes were absolutely unreal in a Doncaster end. So, yeah, James Coppinger still going at 36 and still performing for Doncaster. I was alongside, I think it was um, Billy Reeves who works for, for BBC London and reports on Brentford. And at that point, I don't know where his voice went or indeed him. Uh, it was just one of those moments where you look at it and go, going to remember that, going to remember that forever. And yeah, Coppinger, brilliant. Perfect ground for that to happen at as well, because you're right on top of the pitch in that away end at Brentford. Yeah. So the fans were spilling over behind the goal and uh, Coppinger ripped off his shirt and he still had a couple of minutes to play, which was fantastic as well. I always think with Doncaster, when you've had lows that they've had with yeah. the, the, chair, the owner of the club paying someone to burn down the stadium, and when you've had highs like that tremendous journey back and then beating Leeds of all teams in the in the playoff final a season like this you must be like yeah yeah just got to get through it really yeah. in, in some ways like you say they, <laughs> get through you, the you know one. they're going to finish mid-table I mean when they did go to Blackburn in I think it was only the second game of the season and they won 3-1 and they played really well that afternoon they probably thought oh maybe we could be in with a shot of the playoffs here and going straight up to the championship but it hasn't worked out that way they've really struggled for consistent form and they've, they've lacked a goal scorer really I mean Alfie May scored four in his first five games um, including that win at Blackburn, but he's only found the net once since August. And he's left on the bench again at the weekend, and th- they they really do like that threat and attack. Well, we don't think it's the most likely thing to happen, but let's find out. Joe of William Hill, Doncaster to get promoted. Well, I mean, you've been you've been talking about how snug they are in mid-table, and um, that is highlighted by the fact that they are both twenty to one for promotion and twenty to one for relegation. So they are. Pretty much uh, it's not happening, right there, <laughs> right there in the middle. They're not going down, they're not going up. Well, it's still a lovely day out. And if you'd love a lovely day out at Doncaster, um, you'll be pleased to know that we've got all the details here. Doncaster Station is just under two miles away, but there are buses that will take you right to the ground. Or you can walk it. That's 25 to 30 minutes for normal people and seven minutes for producer Ben. Um, the uh, the car parking is... Well, there's a 1,000 car parking spaces at the stadium. Parking charge is five quid, so you might get lucky there. Tickets range for adults between £21 and £22. Seniors, 17 to 18 pound and you get your under 11s in there for a fiver which is very good indeed when we come back league two league two roundup It's one foot in front of the other for Luton Town now. They had to work hard for it, but they got their win against Morecambe at the weekend. And they lead League Two by six points. Why is the gap so big? Because Notts County managed to lose at home to Exeter. Kevin Nolan's side still without back-to-back league wins since September. Exeter, the early pace setters, remember? They're back up to fifth. And I told you all to keep an eye on Mansfield, didn't I? Steve Evans' side now top the form guide after a breathless comeback gave them a 3-2 win over Cheltenham. But Vargy Bargy with the managers there, I know you'll struggle to believe. Mansfield are seventh, but they're only four points off second. Accrington made life difficult for themselves against Port Vale, trailing 2-0 at half-time, only to come back and win 3-2 in the second half. While promotion rivals Lincoln also came from behind to grab a 1-1 draw at Barnet. And it was 1-1 between Colchester and Grimsby as both grappled with the curse of the Totally Football League show. 
Chesterfield supporters, I don't even want to think about your blood pressure. It's another dramatic day for Jack Lester's side, but this time a happy ending as Christian Dennis hits a last-minute winner against Yeovil. That was his 13th goal of the season, and it lifts a spy right out of the drop zone. Newport are heading back towards the playoff zone. They beat Crawley 2-1 on Saturday, and if they can beat Morecambe on Tuesday, they'll go fifth. Elsewhere, Stevenage and Carlisle played out a goalless draw in which barely anything happened and from which barely anything can be derived. Coventry made it five wins out of seven as Mark McNulty scored another double in a 3-1 victory over Swindon, while Crew lost a ding-dong battle with Wickham after Craig McHale-Smith's 90th minute winner left the chairboys sitting pretty. And there was a grub of the green for Forest Green as new signing Dale Grubb scored a brace in a 5-2 thrashing of Cambridge. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. Oh, yeah, we get by, day by day. Who wants to know about the history of Colchester? I do. Yeah, that's the stuff redeemed himself at the death. (laughs) Um, Colchester, as I'm sure you'll know, is Britain's oldest recorded town and has been a football team there since 1873. But not this team. That was Colchester Town, an amateur side that played right up until 1936 when the professional Colchester United was established and directly precipitated their demise. So the owners had hoped to run both clubs at the same time, but they hadn't actually checked with the authorities and it wasn't really going for it. But anyway, it wasn't until 1950 that this new side was accepted into the Football League. In 1953, on the hunt for a new manager, they were very impressed with one applicant in particular, Ron Meads. Meads said he'd played for Cardiff and that he'd achieved great things as a manager of Wadebridge Town in, uh, in Cornwall, and he was duly given the job. Unfortunately, no one at either club had actually ever heard of him when a journalist checked it all out, and it turned out Ron had made everything up. It's a bit like you getting me on this show, isn't it? How dare you? (laughs) Um, Ron was sacked after four days, uh, one of the shortest reigns in English football history. Colchester rattled about the bottom two divisions for many years, scarcely doing anything to cause comment, until 1971, when they drew Leeds United in the fifth round of the FA Cup. Now, the U's were eighth in the fourth division, and Leeds were... Well, Leeds. They were Don Revy's Leeds. They were top of the league. They were packed with internationals. They're bloody Leeds. And Colchester won 3-2 before going down to Everton in the quarterfinals. In 1980, Colchester hit the headlines again when their 3-0 victory over Millwall was interrupted by Sergeant Frank Ruggles of Essex Police, who marched onto the pitch and berated the Lions defender Mel Blythe for swearing. Now... You may know my dad was a copper in Essex Police and I gave him a call yesterday to find out if it ever crossed paths with Frank Ruggles. Not only did he know who Frank Ruggles was, but he was at the game covering... uh, He was, you know, working and Frank Ruggles was his sergeant and my dad was very, very young. So he was there for the whole incident. So I got a direct eyewitness report that apparently Mel Blythe was... In a moment where all the crowd noise subsided, Mel Blythe decided to unload what even my dad, a former policeman, referred to as a quite spectacular stream of expletives. And uh, my dad turned to Sergeant Ruggles and went, ''Oh, where's he gone?'' And Ruggles was halfway across the pitch, gave him a three-minute lecture and then marched straight off again, basically saying... You, you can't be doing that. Where was Sergeant Ruggles when we needed him last week, eh? Well, exactly, exactly. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it made the papers and it was all over the place. So uh, Sergeant Ruggles, um, uh, by the way, w- won the British Empire Medal in 1991 for his tireless charity work. 
That's a lot of Sergeant Ruggles coverage. Of <laughs> course, by this point, Colchester would deepen the brown stuff. They'd sacked manager Mike Walker in 1987, which was a little surprising given that they were top of the table at the time. Uh, the books were going south, attendances were going south. It was no surprise when Colchester slipped into non-league in 1990. They didn't stay there long. Under red card Roy McDonough, they finished second and then first and won the FA Trophy along the way. But their golden years began in 2003 when they appointed Phil Parkinson as manager. He not only saved them from relegation, he got them promoted to the second division for the first time in their history in 2006. Now, these were golden years for Essex football, given that uh, Southend went up that season as well. But while the Shrimpers spiralled straight back down, Colchester stayed up, finishing 10th. And then they went down the next season. And they only finished in the top ten once in eight years before going down again. But under John McGreal, Matt, they've got an outside chance of promotion, haven't they? Well, he did have a few weeks ago, but it seems to have trailed off, doesn't it, over the last few weeks? They got a, a vital point, I think he called it. It could be a precious point at the weekend, but yeah. Against the Grimby, Grimsby side that haven't been playing well either lately, and yet probably... Could have shaded it really against against them at the weekend. Mm. Um, Colchester they won nine of fourteen matches uh, from October to the end of December, and now it's five win uh, five games without a win, and they've only scored three times in that. And they really do rely very heavily on Tammy Smoddix for goals, uh, and also Michael Mandron in attack. And there aren't many other players in the side that are really contributing. Yeah, Colchester are fourth bottom of the form table at the moment. It, it should be pointed out. Um, Grimsby manager Russell Slade. Um, very, very aggrieved because felt they had all the first half. They did have all the first half, and then very were... fetching purple kit as well. I have to say. <laughs> Certainly eye catching. Um, and then Colchester came back with an equaliser shortly after a uh, full and frank exchange of views at half time before the game sort of drizzled away. Um, just a, a word on Grimsby. I mean, that must be disappointing. Terrible run of form. And uh, I think they felt they should have been three or four up at the break. But Colchester sort of back in it and five points shy of the playoffs. It's been a funny old time for Colchester in the last sort of 15, 20 years, hasn't it, Caroline? Oh, I guess that's why he's saying it's a precious point when they are just five points off the playoffs. You did mention Roy McDonuts, as he's known <gasps> down our way at Chelmsford. He's the only manager we've ever had that scored a goal and was booed uh, when he when he scored it. He was he was hated at New Ritual Street, as was then. Um, he was part of the, the, the Britvic extravaganza in the mid-90s, wasn't he? Well, red, yeah, Red Card is, is red right. Red Card sponsorship. Yeah, yeah, we changed our kits to red. We play in Claret normally. We went to Wembley. We had on the back of a newspaper that people don't like to mention the name of, uh, adverts as well with all their players on, on the back. And it was one of those stages when we thought, yeah, this is our moment. And it wasn't. Um, which, which team is this again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on to Colchester and the Western Home Stadium, Community Stadium. They, they seemingly have the infrastructure there to do really well. You go up the, the A12, the stadium's just off it, but the wind howls around it. And it's one of those places, if you're not doing well as the home, uh, the home team, equally you're feeling that, that little bit of pressure because you can get lost inside. It's a bit of a... It's a, a, it's a tight little stadium, stadium, isn't it? Just well, five thousand. Yeah, but it's 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 one of those places because they've got the the open corners as well. It just just whistles in, and uh, even though I've seen the delights of an Essex Senior Cup win, there <laughs> it, it's. I, I hope for Colchester fans for more continually. And in McGrill, when he came in as caretaker first off, didn't he? And then to get the job, I thought, yeah, he he's the one that he seems to to talk well. He's got a bit about him. The players under him. And they have such a fantastic youth setup. You, you talk about Schmodic's coming through it as well. They sh- have everything 
to do well. And I just hope they just get that little bounce that can lift them. Yeah, I remember being there about uh, 10, 15 years ago at Layer Road, of course, mm. um, which was great. You sat in the main stand at Layer Road and it was like riding a children's bicycle. Your knees are around your ears. Um, and they had uh, they had some fine players. Greg Halford coming through the ranks had just got back from Toulon with the England under-20s. How are they doing that? I mean, they're, they're a tiny, tiny club. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting area though really we suffer south end suffer as well from from west ham in particular and some of the players getting picked up and <laughs> from west ham uh, some of the players taking them um but i think in that area in culture when when you look at where they might draw on to i said great facilities and um, they've got a big i shan't mention the name of the the gym that's that's there too it's, it's, it's a bit of a pain though when you have to queue as a fan if you're in traffic getting there trying to get in and out of the stadium but I just think actually it's a nice it's a nice little setup without wanting to sound condescending and they do blood the players so they get them through and they play them and they pick up a few players from Premier League clubs uh, in London as well I think there's a couple that have come from Chelsea or Spurs yeah. when it released when they're maybe 15 16 and then they slot into the Colchester youth set up and just a really sort of highlight how well it's going for Colchester in, in that department. They're, they're the only League Two club represented in the fifth round of the FA Youth Cup, which is a fantastic achievement in itself. And then you have the first team on the edge of the playoffs at the moment, and you have several players there. Smodics, we've talked about. Dre Wright, there's some of uh, former Ipswich midfielder Jermaine Wright, we all remember pretty well. And mm. Frankie Kent and Tom Lapsley as well, all regulars this season. And uh, Dre Wright actually uh, was involved in their equaliser, and I thought uh, he played pretty well for Colchester at the weekend. Uh, let's just talk about Smodics a bit more because he's one getting all the attention. He's been at the club since the age of seven, which shows how deep the roots of the academy go. Um, scoring freely this season as well with uh, with 12, which is just four behind uh, Key at Accrington, the leading scorer. Um, how good is he? It probably wasn't his best game at the weekend. No, he's got a bit quiet recently. He scored seven in eight, and, uh, and then he's got one in his last four coincidentally following those links with Bournemouth I, I really like him though he's a driving midfielder for, from uh, he comes from deep to get into the box like late on and uh, his goals have been all sorts of finishes as well both feet a couple of headers and uh, in, in, to be talked about as a £1 million target for Premier League side is huge for him at this stage of his career and he's only 22 but, it, but it's also great for Colchester as well because if you've brought this kid through from when he was 7 years old and now he's potentially moving to a Premier League side that's that's so impressive but and, you, you are going to get those like the one at the weekend where he bloomed it over you're going to get that on you occasionally from those players coming through but they do uh, Schmodix was loaned out to Braintree Brain wasn't yeah. he so they do that well too. So they use the the lower league clubs in in the area around them that they go and they they get them just maybe a little bit physically tougher and, and get kicked a little bit. I'm not saying that's what happens at Braintree, but I can get away with saying that because yeah, Braintree, um, not the place, just the team. <laughs> it, 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 so so they do that well too, as well as bringing the players up and through the players that they get back from Premier League clubs. They then send out before using them again. All right. Well, if you would like a day in the, the very windy community stadium up in Colchester, um, you, you can do that. And here are the details because the tickets uh, for adults between 17 50 and 25 quid. Under 14s go £4 to £7. Under 11s go free in the family closure uh, if accompanied by an adult. So that's, that's quite good. As Caroline said, it's just off the A12. So it's, uh, you literally can't miss it, can you? It looms over the road. Uh, very limited car 
parking though, just 700 spaces. Um, parking in advance is £6. Um, so good luck with that. And uh, I think it's a bit of a jaunt from the train station as well. Colchester then, they, they really put themselves in with a shout of the playoffs, Joe, from William Hill. Um, can they come through this sticky patch of form? Um, I personally think they can. Uh, they've, they've had a great season so far, uh, last few games uh, notwithstanding. But um, as we talked about Doncaster, Doncaster are 20 to 1 uh, to get promoted, Colchester are 18 to 1. Now, if you hmm. look at Doncaster, they're, they're very much settled in mid table. Colchester are in with a shout of making the playoffs at least. Um, and so for me, 18 to 1 is, is quite a big price. It's obviously very competitive in that that division at the moment with with plenty of teams all the way down to the middle of the table that could that could get in there but 18 to 1 is not the worst price that you'll see all right well let's talk about a few other prices because we've got some live games coming up what's the first one yeovil manchester united yeovil manchester no way yeovil are winning that surely Uh, no way uh 16 to 1 they are to win you can't see them winning it really uh but we we've we've said that already in the fa cup i think we were very uh Sniffy about Nottingham Forest's Nottingham Forest's chance of uh, of beating Arsenal in the previous round. Who was it who said anyone can beat Arsenal? <laughs> Hello, it's Matt Stanger. <laughs> well, um, okay, you, you and I were very uh, dismissive yeah, we of, uh, of Forest's yeah. chances of, of beating Arsenal, and and I, I hate football cliches, but in the cup, these these kind of giant killings do happen. And, and Yeovil at sixteen to one, there will be plenty of Yeovil fans, I'm sure, backing that price. Well, Matt thinks that Newport will get past Tottenham as well. Tell me about that. Well, again, to, to coin a cliche, we've we've already mentioned earlier on in the in the year that the pitch at Newport can be a leveller, <laughs> um, and um, they are the same price actually as Yeovil, sixteen to one. Uh, to beat Spurs. Spurs 1-6 to six and the draw 6-1. to one. Now, Cardiff have really stiffened up at the back and they've got Man City, so they'll they'll need to be good at the back. Um, shorter price there, I'd imagine. Yeah, but only just. Then they're 9-1 to one to win. Um, Manchester City 2-7 to seven, and the draw 9-2. to two. All right. Well, that is uh, William Hill. That is Joe Crilly, who you can follow on Twitter at footy underscore Joe. That's correct, yes. Lovely stuff. We have a question from Paul Glover. Can Charlton Athletic close on fifth place Bradford City? Uh, with everything going on at the club, how has Carl Robinson managed to turn around our form? Carl Robinson, Matt, actually said this weekend that he felt their target really should be the top two. I think that's a little bit optimistic, isn't it? But he's a very positive manager, Carl Robinson, and he's done a great job. Uh, we we spoke, talked about Colchester's young players, and he's brought through so many at, at Charlton as well. And another goal for Joe Rebo at the weekend, who I think is a, a really impressive young midfielder. We've got Esri Conser as well, who's been linked with Everton this month. And they've got a good side, Charlton, but it's whether they can keep it together. And is there any direction above Carl Robinson from, from the board? I think there's there's a few whispers around both those players that you just mentioned about whether they're going to leave. So they're just dreading, dreading any kind of phone calls coming in from clubs higher up at, at the moment. If they can hang on to them, then I think that, that they will push, not top two, but I think they'll, they'll play off, so they'll be all right. Ed Quoth, the Raven's been in touch again. He says, uh, well, was there a more important win anywhere in the Football League than Chesterfield beating Yeovil and moving to just one point behind them? Yeah, definitely not. That was a great result for Chesterfield winning at Yeovil uh, with Otis Khan obviously getting that red card in the last minute after Christian Dennis gave Chesterfield the winner, which was a terrible, terrible mix-up in the Yeovil defence. The goalkeeper came racing out and presented Dennis with the ball. And we've talked about Chesterfield 
been a, a side that looked to play decent passing football under Jack Lester and they keep threatening to, to, to climb out of it and then they keep slipping back in so so I think that could be the catalyst really for them to push on it's all getting a bit uh, a bit tight at the bottom there isn't it that that is why it's, it's such an important result because no one wants to make that that drop in when it's so difficult to get back up as we spoke before about the one automatic promotion place you've just got to cling on for dear life and guarantee that that league football just, league position just three points separate 23rd and 19th. Um, so it's a proper dogfight down there. Barnett did, of course, get a point at the weekend under your friend of mine, Graham Wesley. Um, but they're still six points adrift at the bottom. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, we'll hope that you, dear listener, will be with us for all of that um, as, as we continue to chronicle the season. But for now, that's all the time we've got. Matt Stanger, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. It really was. It really was. Caroline, it's always wonderful to have you here. I thought you were going to end it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Just shut it Matt down. Matt Stanger, good to have you here, Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've actually got through a whole show about mentioning that wearing a cap in tribute to Tony Pulis. Oh, yeah. After seeing his Middlesbrough side destroy fetching. QPR. Yeah, we, he wouldn't wear that cap. We've also, um, and, and I know that, that one listener in particular will appreciate this, uh, Andrew Morris, managed to get through the show without saying f***, <laughs> or what so that's great somebody call the PC <laughs> thank you so much for listening everybody <laughs> it goes without saying that we'll see you next Tuesday the Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email us at sales at muddykneesmedia.com Hello there, it's James Richardson here. I don't know about you, but listening to that theme tune takes me back to altogether happier times. The ice cream, the pink newspapers, the, the double espressos, the hair. For those of you who don't start doodling during our Italian roundups on the Totally Football Show, well, here's some news you've been waiting for. From mid-January, we're going to be bringing you a brand new weekly podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest events from Syria and turning the clock back to the good old days, you know, when the national team used to go to the World Cup. The name of the show? Like you didn't know already. Golazzo! The totally Italian football show. You can subscribe now on Audio Boom, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts.